Yes, I may be twangy today. Or speak banjo. We may need an interpreter. We're starting a new series today called Kingdom Protocols. And uh, I know that's a fancy title. It sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but I don't. So, um, so what, what I really feel like the Holy Spirit has been guiding us into this year is understanding what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And as kingdom citizens in a world that is not the kingdom. And so what we're, we talked about in our last series, Attitude Adjustments, we talked about these, how different things are attitudes that we live by, different things that are atmospheres in which we live, different approaches to how we look at everything. And so we look at poverty and hunger and grief as things that are powerful in our lives to free us and empower us. And this series, we're going to look at how Jesus actually told us to live. Now, here's the thing that I need you to understand. I don't mean to be offensive. Sometimes I do come off that way because I am kind of a jerk sometimes, but that, that's a different matter. I don't mean to be. But being a Christian is not religion. It's not going to church. It's not tithing. It's not a look. It's not a moral compass. Being a Christian is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if your religion doesn't listen to Jesus, it's not Christianity. You have to listen to Jesus. And so that's what I want to be. And here's the thing. I'm, I'm 50-something years old, 53 52, 52, soon to be 53. I have a birthday coming up here in a couple months, you know, and I'm trying to get ready for it. You, you never hear anybody in their 50s going, well, I'm 52 and a half. You never hear them saying that. So anyway, what's that about? Uh, and, and I continually find places in my life where I'm not listening to Jesus. And that's what Kingdom Protocols are about. It's about living in a way that listens to Jesus. And it's about being honest about the reality that we have a lot of places in our life that we're still the Lord of and Jesus is not. Okay? You live in a world that's anti-God. Everything you know that was taught to you by the world in which you live in is wrong. It may work while you're here just because the world is broken, but it's still wrong. Okay? So... Jesus said, but to you who are willing to listen, Christians should listen to Jesus. This is really important. He's the only one in the history of the world or eternity that rose from the dead by his own power. That gives him a credibility that everything he says you have to pay attention to, especially if it disagrees with everything you know or you think you know. And so, are you willing to listen to Jesus? Because this is the beginning of the kingdom protocols. If we're not willing to listen to Jesus, we can't even be Christian. Yes, you can be religious. There is a measure of comfort that that brings. But it does not save your soul. Religion won't save you. Okay? So, are you willing to listen? It's hard to listen. I know this because I am married. <laughs> and a dad. It's just challenging to 
pay attention in life. Have you, has anyone ever asked you that? Well, I know you men have. Has someone? If it wasn't your wife, it was your mother. Are you listening <laughs> to me? Are you listening to me? And that could mean a lot of things. Are you listening to me as, are you trying to understand what I'm saying? That's healthy. It, sometimes it means, do you agree with me? And you better. Sometimes it means that. That's not healthy, okay? There are several ways the question could be uh, wrong, but so forth. It might mean, are you willing to share this moment with me? Can we inhabit this moment, this space and time and be present right here? Are you listening to me? It could mean that. That's also healthy, but it's really tough to listen, especially when you're ADD like me, you know. Um, so I like to meet people at a coffee shop because I love coffee. And, uh, well, that's the only reason. Um <laughs> trying to come up with two and three, but there wasn't. And so, uh, so I, I go down to Coltrane a lot. Denise Webster's a believer here in town. I love to support uh, believers who are in business if I can. And uh, I want to keep Coltrane open because I really like it. So I, I buy a lot of coffee down there. But they have an ice machine that is shipped in from heck or something. I don't know what it is about the ice machine. But I'm down there and meeting with people. And all of a sudden, they have to make one of those frozen drinks. That's not coffee. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. I just want to mess with you foo-foo drinkers. All right. So I'm sitting there, I'm having a conversation. We're talking about something serious and, you know, oh man, you're struggling in your marriage and then all of a sudden someone orders a foo-foo drink and, and you can't hear anything. Sometimes there are physical things that keep us from listening. So you have to be careful about what, there's, there's just noise in life that drowns out what you hear, what I hear. Some of them are physical things. You're not in a good place. Sometimes they're psychological things. All of us have this echo chamber in our heads. And sometimes it is so loud we cannot hear what someone is trying to tell us. I've, found, I've discovered that in my life a great deal. That my wife will be trying to communicate to me her heart, but the echo chamber in my head is so loud, it just inflames my internal wounds, and all I can do is defend myself. And a valuable lesson I learned, uh, this is not a, a marriage class or anything, but a valuable lesson I learned is that if I feel a need to defend myself, I cannot listen. I can no longer hear what you're saying. And so we have psychological noise that keeps us from it. We have physiological noise. We get sick, we have headaches, we're exhausted, we're hungry, we haven't had enough sleep, we have discomfort, all those kind of things. So those are things you should be aware of. You don't start a, a fight with your spouse just before they go to bed at night. You, you don't wait till the first thing in the morning. That way they ruins their whole day. Don't just, <laughs> don't just kill the evening, you know, kill it all. I'm just messing with you. And of course, there's also semantic noise, meaning that we have cliches we know, platitudes we're comfortable with, uh, dialects, accents. Amen. That's right. When her Kentucky cuts loose, it's a fun time at our house. I'm just saying. Um, we have different communication styles and so forth. My point simply is it is hard to listen. It takes humility to listen. I have to. I have to suspend my interpretive lenses, my uh, preconceived notions to hear what you have to say. It takes grace to listen. I, I cannot defend myself or work on my, the next thing I'm going to say and hear what you have to say. It takes patience. I have to suspend those responses until I've heard what you had to say and then 
respond. And most importantly, it takes respect. You are God's creation that God decided should be on this earth at this point in time and that God placed in my presence. You are worthy of my respect. Your actions, your behaviors, your failures, your sins are irrelevant. You are God's creation. At least for me to listen to you, they are so. So this is important. It's important with spouses, important with friends and co-workers. It's important. But when it comes to Jesus, it's critical. I have to listen to Jesus. I need to listen to Jesus. I desperately need the words of Jesus, who is the word of life, who is the light of the world. I desperately, desperately, desperately need his word coming to my heart, my mind, my soul, and my spirit. Are you, am I committed to listen to Jesus, especially if I hate what he says? I contend, and I don't, I'm not trying to be rude, it's just who I am. Just kidding. I contend that very few Christians actually listen to Jesus. I, I contend that very few actually read the words of Jesus. In fact, most of even the, the theologians and scholars I know today spend all their time in the epistles, which are the letters that the apostles wrote about Jesus, and they spend very little time thinking and meditating on the things that Jesus actually said. And so, if you're going to be a Christian, a little Christ, the light of the world, if I'm going to be that, I have to listen to Jesus. And that's what kingdom protocols are about. If I'm not willing to listen to Jesus, I'm not going to be the light of the world. I'm not going to be the salt of the earth. I'm not going to be able to bring from heaven the things that need to be placed on this earth if I'm unwilling to listen to Jesus. So, here's something Jesus said. If you are willing to listen... I say, it's interesting that Jesus began there. We should not gloss over that sentence. That's a critical question or statement. If you are willing to listen, <clears throat> excuse me, I say, love your enemies. Woohoo! That one's easy. <laughs> I didn't know Jesus was going to ask me to do easy stuff. Love your enemies. So let's say it together. Love your enemies. That just doesn't even sound right. It doesn't. Why? Because I was born in the kingdom of darkness. That is not how things work on the earth. That is how things work in the kingdom I have been saved into. Not the kingdom I was born into. Does that make sense? And so it doesn't sound right. But this is what Jesus says. And if Jesus says it, I'm listening. I'm listening to what Jesus says. I'm listening to what the apostles said too, but I'm starting with Jesus. So I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you, only, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, 
Should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Those are the words of Jesus. That's what Jesus said, and that is how the kingdom works on earth. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing, that's how it works. And so I want us to change our minds about some things. So whenever you hear me say the word change our minds, if you grew up in church or if you're older like me, you've heard the word repentance. That's what repentance is. It's changing your mind. And it's not as simple as change your mind. Oh, I, I hate chocolate. Now I like chocolate, which no one ever said ever. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's an actual changing of a mind, which is like my brain is no longer set this way. My heart is set this way. It's a higher way of thinking. So we need to change our mind about a few things. We need to change our mind about the way that we know in life. It was Mark Twain who said, well, this is actually a paraphrase. God help us the things we know that just ain't so. And we need to realize that there are things in our world that the world is broken. The tools of the world don't work, not eternally. They might work short term. I'm always reminded when I start thinking about the world of the Janet Jackson song from my youth, What Have You Done For Me Lately? And all the younger people are like, who's she? Anyway, so... Uh, <sighs> There's a great, it's a lot of drama around the Jackson family. You might be interested to find out some of that, but not me. I'm good. So that's how the world lives, though. The world loves you with a hook. The world loves you with a hook. What's that mean? Agape love, and I'm going to do a whole series on this, but I'm going to give you a little preview right now. Agape love is this way. It's out. It's toward and it expects nothing, desires nothing, wants nothing other than to love and love you. This is how God loves us. It's agape love. It's unconditional love. Eros love, which is a word that's not even in the New Testament Greek because it was considered profane at the time. Eros love is when you love to receive. You love someone to get something. There's a hook in it. This is how the world loves. Everything has a hook in it. Everything has a hook in it, in the world you live in. If people try to, have you ever, boy, I don't want to get into too much of the mud here, but have, have you ever like met someone, kind of hit it off, it's a good friendship, and uh, then they invited you out for coffee, and you go, oh, great, uh, this, we're building a relationship, that's good, and then the hook came, and you found out they were really just trying to sell you something, get you to work in their organization, whatever. You, you ever had that hook? I'm seeing a lot of heads go like this here. Some of you are laughing, some of you are crying. <laughs> That's the way the world loves. That's not how God loves. God's love is unconditional. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change anything for God to love you. However, if you want to be in a relationship with God, relationships have requirements and conditions. Those are different things. God will never stop loving you. We live in a world that knows those tools and their hooks in them. So we live in a world, an internal world, that's filled with guilt, fear, shame, effort, and lack. This just, our internal world is just loaded with this stuff. I love the grace of God. I teach about God's grace. I'm also honest about the realities that we face. 
I'm always amazed. I will, I will teach a message and I will, my, I'm always going to dig deep into God's grace. And when I talk about a painful failure in our life, if you've heard me very long, you know, if I bring up something that hurts, I'm going to immediately give you the escape hatch. Run to Jesus. Just go to Jesus. He's all of that's covered in the blood. And it doesn't happen every Sunday, but often I, I, I'm at the door. I'm shaking them out. And someone comes out and you can just see the guilt and the shame. It hurts my heart. Because I, I never am trying to do to you what the devil's doing to you. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is never, he's never going to do you like the world does you. And so people walk out hearing a message of grace and receiving a message of guilt. And that breaks my heart. Some of you right now have got mistakes, sins, failures, whatever you call them in your life. And you want to get right with Jesus. You want to return to God. But somewhere in your mind, there's this crazy lie that says, listen, I did something wrong and I need to turn to Jesus, but I better sit here and wallow in my shame a while. Somehow we think that if we're, we have to experience guilt and shame for a certain period of time before Jesus will forgive us, I'm not trying to insult you, but that lie is stupid. That lie is dumb. Here's what happens. When you have a sin, a failure, a weakness, you a shortcoming, whatever it is in your life, and the second you see it, you just run to Jesus. There is no probationary period. If you're walking around in guilt and shame... That's a prison you're walking around in. That is not the Father. That's religion. That's not relationship. You understand? That's how the world works, but that's not how the kingdom works. So we have to change our mind about that. We have to change our mind about the way the world works and about the way God works. And when we do that, we can begin to move into a place where we move from evil and feeling evil and experiencing these bad feelings to a place where we can do and give good. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. The world needs hope. It needs love. It needs forgiveness. It needs grace. It needs gentleness. It needs patience. It needs kindness. I can't give that to you if I don't have it. I can't get that from human effort. I can only receive that from my Father through Jesus. You see, we're walking through life trying to give out of our bankruptcy, and that's where our lack comes from. If we could give out of our blessing, if rather than going out and I got to do something good today, I got to make a difference, if we'd start at the foot of the Lord, in the throne room, at the, verse, the throne of grace, if we'd start there and say, Lord, I don't even know what I need today, but I'm going to stay here, I'm going to receive whatever I need. You might need patience today. No one ever wants. We don't pray for patience. That's a dumb prayer. <laughs> I always tell people, you don't have to pray for patience. That lesson's coming whether you ask for it or not. So what Jesus does in Matthew 5:38 when he talks about loving your enemies. You see, we oversimplify things. We make things blanket statement and and Jesus was a lot more descriptive than we give him credit for. So he says, love your enemies, and that is a big, hairy statement, okay? I know. I have wounds and, and insults and abuses I've endured in life, too. 
And I know loving my enemies is not a natural occurrence. And so Jesus breaks it down, and he tells, he gives basically four settings. He's, he talks about if someone slaps you. Um, see, this is one of those things Christians don't believe. <laughs> They're just like, okay, I'm going to turn the other cheek, and then I'm going to kill you. <laughs> that doesn't sound like the spirit of what Jesus was teaching, but hey, that's just my thoughts on that. So he, he presents a, poor, uh, a story of a, an evil person who slaps you, a lawsuit that goes against you. And you thought the Bible wasn't practical. An evil law that torments you. That's what the coat, uh, I mean, no, the carrying the baggage thing was about. A request for a loan. And, and so Jesus dealt with the legal things. He says, don't ever let it get to the point of a lawsuit. Settle it before you get there. But if it does get there, if it gets past what you can do, when it gets out of your hands, Jesus tells us to, to, to not, don't let it be taken from you, rather make it something else. Don't let yourself be robbed, not by fighting for what was taken from you, but by making what was taken from you a gift. When someone takes your dignity with the slap, you, you move from what was taken from you, the theft, you turn the other cheek, you step into courage. And what you've done is you've reclaimed your dignity just by stepping into courage. Someone takes you to law, they sue you for your coat, you give them your shirt. What'd you do? You, they took from your coat, you gave them your shirt. You reclaimed your dignity. You made a statement to them of, you can't steal from me, but I can give to you. This is how the kingdom works. The kingdom is crazy. And it's powerful. It's powerful. And so if we can begin to learn and change our minds, here's the thing. Jesus is right. Amen? Amen. Jesus is right. And God is faithful. Here's where faith comes in. The just shall live by faith. Faith comes in because faith says, the world denies it. I've never seen it before. Jesus says it's true. I'm going to trust Jesus and see what the Father does. That's what Christianity is. That's what Christianity is. It's trusting God that Jesus is correct, and then you begin to see things in your life that you could never have expected. Plus that, that's how you shine as light in the world. This world is a dark place. If you act like everyone else, you're just as dark as they are. You're not being the light. If you're going to be light, you have to be contradictory, revolutionary. And Jesus was the ultimate revolutionary. And he never slapped anyone or bomb them, or anything else. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of, God's most kind, of, of, God, of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. When you do what Jesus says, you look like Jesus. You begin to represent Jesus in this world. So we have to change our mind about the way we live in this world. We have to change our mind about the things that we lose in life. As I was writing this message, God gave me this line. The world can only take from you the things that it gave you. And you are losing those things anyway. 
You're born in this world, the things you earn, the things you get from here, you put them on your tally sheet, your balance sheet, whatever you are, and then they begin to flitter away. They begin to fade. There is nothing in this world you can count on for your entire life. You don't know. I mean, you can work on your health. That's a wise investment. I know a lot of people who were very healthy, worked on their health, and through no fault of their own, their health was lost or taken from them. You can't count on your own strength to carry you through in this life. I know all kinds of people who saved up money for their retirements or later in life, and they they put it away their entire working years, and one sickness wiped out all of it. Or a job loss forced them to live off of it longer than expected, and they got totally reset. I see this stuff all the time. You can't count on anything this world has for you to sustain you your whole life. You can't. Michael, what can I count on? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Jesus, man. He is the only thing you can count on. So if we can begin to change our mind about the losses, stop walking around in pain and resentment because we lost. We lost money. We lost health. We lost relationships. I'm not saying, you know, our last sermon of the last series was on grief. and, And we'll have it up in our podcast in the next week. If you haven't heard it, you need to hear it. I think grief is one of the most important things uh, for us today. We need to learn to grieve and let things go and loose things. And so that being said, we need to change our mind. We do need to grieve those things, but then we need to move into a, a stage of our life where we no longer lose things, but we loose things. We let them go. We, we realize that fading things are just that, fading things. We can enjoy them for a season, but they are not forever. So, dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. That's the kind. Of, so let's move into changing our losses into investments. There's a, a I was reading a... Uh, a devotional this morning someone sent to me and uh, the the writer this lady pointed out how that the Lord says he provides seed for the sower and bread for the farmer and I had never really thought of the verse in that context how that God doesn't just give us enough money to live on he gives us enough money and resources to build on and that's the difference between abundance and poverty Poverty is just living till it's all gone. Abundance is investing and building for the future. Those are biblical principles. And so in life, you're going to have those losses. They're going to be slow and they're death by a thousand paper cuts, as we like to say. And you can keep enduring the losses or you can loose them and start making investments with them. Alan and Patty Smith are dear friends of ours. And uh, also, uh, they're not here so I can say this, just kind of heroes to us. Just invested their life in the kingdom of God. We've had the conversation many times. Because one of the things I always wanted to be able to do is to, to do ministry totally free of charge. But the Lord was not cool with that. It's a long story. I'll, t- I'll be happy to tell you over a cup of coffee, or six, because it takes a while. But anyway... <laughs> But Alan and Patty, um, you know, built their life, invested it in so many people, 
caregivers, so many things. And as they were headed toward retirement a few years before, I, have, I was having a conversation with them. I had this conversation with a few people that are looking at the retirement as a possibility in their life. And we're talking about how they can invest their retirement in the kingdom. There are just so many places that need servants and need people to, to, to serve, to witness, to build, whatever it is. But they don't have any financial resources. But God has these, these amazing people out there, and I've seen them all the time. I, in fact, when I was in Otis, we built a church with, these kind of, with people like this that basically took their retirement and just poured it into the kingdom of God. They already had their income set aside. They were taken care of, and so they would go. This one man came, and he built a church for us over the summer. It was really awesome. He spent seven weeks in the plains of Colorado in a camper with the wind blowing 40 miles an hour on a base, regular basis, being a general contractor so he could build a building. He just poured his life into the kingdom like that. That's beautiful. You can't take it with you. Your kids will just blow it. Why not pour it into the kingdom? Why, I mean, yeah, get them started after the government takes their 43% it's at now with the latest bill, but um, why not pour it into the kingdom? Why not pour it into something eternal? There's a group of churches I've become acquainted with. Um, it's uh, Salt and Light International is the name of the group. I've never seen anything like it. I, I was ordained a Southern Baptist back in 1994. That's an that's a evangelical denomination um, that there are several here in, our, uh, in Wyoming. In, in, that, in, in denominations, there are expectations, there are hooks. <laughs> and so that's all, that's all I'd ever seen before. So I encountered this group, Salt and Light International, and uh, I've, Dave had some of their international leaders at Dave Limmer, who was here last Sunday, at his home in, outside of Casper. And I'm sitting here talking to these international leaders, and I've never heard anything like it in my life. Because there were no hooks. There were no hooks. Here were people gifted as prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers on an international level. And their only desire was to pour into the kingdom Never asked for anything, had no expectation. I've never seen anything like it. I'm very excited about finding them because I think that's how the kingdom works. I don't think there are any hooks in the kingdom. And so I'm telling you this because that's how I want to live. While I have it, whatever blessing I have, I want to give it. If I have health, I want to pour it into somebody. I want to pour it into my kids, my wife, my friends, my church, my community. While I have I may not always have it. I talk to people every week who that part of their life is, is gone. And they don't have it anymore. And, and, and here's the thing. Here, <laughs> when you pour it into other people, it's funny how God works. I mean, I, I feel like I've given up a lot for the kingdom, but it's really nothing in comparison to what I've seen others do. But, you know, God says, if you, whatever you give, he gives it back, pressed down, shaken together, running over back into your bosom. And, and, and I don't think that verse is just about money. I think it certainly can apply. But I, I think that that verse is about, man, when you pour into other people, then well, you just can't outgive God. You just can't do it. I, just pick something, anything in your life, and try and beat him. I dare you. I double dog dare you. You know what that means? That's a real dare. If you don't take that one on... <laughs> You're a chicken, you know. 
I double dog dare you to try and outgive God. Pick an area. And, and if you're sitting there, well, he's just asking for money. If that's what you think, please keep your money. I don't want that contaminating what God's doing in ordering faith, okay? So, so give it to someone else is what I'm saying. But just give health. Give your strength. Give your energy. Give some encouragement. Give some hope. Give some serving. Just try and I'll give him. You can't. You're going to lose in life. It's going to slowly eke away unless you take it while you have it and you store it up somewhere that's not here. You give it to the Father. You give it to the kingdom. You seek the kingdom first. Michael, what does all this have to do with loving your enemies? You can't love your enemies if you won't give them anything. Jesus tied loving your enemies to giving. If they ask you of a loan, give it to them, even if they can't pay you back. Why? Because when you give, you are wealthy. It doesn't matter what your bank account number is. It doesn't matter what's on the bottom line. When you give, when you give out of that, what you have, you are pouring into someone else. You are making everything stronger, better, brighter, lighter. You're pouring in. So we have to change our minds about this stuff. We have to stop walking around in life going, I hope there's enough for me. There better be enough for me. Jesus, Lord, let there be enough for me. We pray with a hook in it. <laughs> oh, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. And he does. He's really good even when we're really ignorant. That was ignorant, not ignorant. Okay, that's, let me explain some Southern to you, okay? <laughs> Ignorance when you don't know something. Ignorance when you don't know something and you don't care. <laughs> All right? <laughs> so, some of my heroes in the faith are people who gave the most after they lost everything. I think of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. I don't know if you ever heard their story or I can't remember the name of the movie that came out a few years ago, several years ago now. Into the Spear that kind of tells what happened to him. But out of his death and his wife's sacrifice, thousands have come to faith and millions have been encouraged. I, I also love stories, older ones, like Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael. Missionary, missionary uh, from the late, late 1800s, early 1900s, out of the Keswick movement, which you can look up sometime. Who John Taylor, uh, uh, Hudson Taylor came home from China. He fell and hurt his back. Medical things were not where they are today. They don't even know what happened. All we know is that for two years he laid in bed and could do nothing. He, he was at the end of his rope. He didn't know what to do. That two years he spent seeking God and praying. Into that two years, God healed him and he went back to China and his ministry completely changed the known world at the time. Amy Carmichael is one of my favorites, and this is especially for those of you going through physical suffering. Amy Carmichael, a single woman, goes to India. That wasn't the plan. She was going to go to China. Ends up working with these girls who've been uh, rescued or freed or lost in the kind of the prostitution movement of their temples. She works with them. She falls down and, and hurts her back and spends the next 15 years in bed. Stays in India. Does not leave. And on that bed writes some of the finest and most encouraging devotional writings you will ever read. If you're going through a tough time physically, read Amy Carmichael. 
Because she was going through a valley and she went in the valley and never came out the rest of her life on earth. And in that valley, she found so many jewels we need. These are the people that give me courage. People who lost everything and in losing everything gave so much more. I could list, I, I could list many who've done that for me. The point would be, I have to change my mind about my losses. I have to stop letting things being taken from me and turn those things into gifts. If you want to hurt me, I want to love you. If you want to rob from me, I want to give to you. You want to take me to court, take everything I have, I'm going to work a few extra hours and give you more. Why? Because I am so strong in Christ that no matter what you take from me, I can always turn into a blessing to you. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? If I were you, and, and, and you hadn't been here very much, and you heard what I just said, I would be sitting there going, this dude's nuts. And I am. Because my Lord and Savior was also crazy. But he rose from the dead and confirmed everything he ever said. Does that make sense? Change your mind about the way you live in this world. Change your mind about your losses. And change your mind about your situation. Circumstances are what they are. I've seen God do amazing miracles. I've also seen God take his time. Or really my time. I don't know why God does what he does in the way that he does. And if I did know, I would be God. And I wouldn't be a good one. So what I want to encourage you to do is remember, I want you to change your mind and repent about your situation. Hallie and I were talking before service today about some things and, uh, that, that we're both familiar with. And I share with her, this, this is something I, I just kind of came to me over the weekend in my own devotional time. Why do we trust our feelings so much? And here's why I think this. So yesterday mornings, you know, no, maybe it was Friday morning, we had just gotten back from our uh, drive back from Tennessee and Kentucky. And, and I'm going to tell you, that ride was hard on me in my 30s. And now it's like, wow, it takes me days to recover. And I got up Friday morning and I'm like tired. I'm like, oh, I mean, I, I felt like army crawling everywhere. That's how tired I was. But that sounded like too much work. And so I got up. So. <laughs> and I'm like, and Chris and I were talking. I was like, I'm like, ah, I'm so tired. You know, I, I just don't feel very spiritual today. You ever just not feel spiritual? You feel like, uh, I don't know, just your, spirit, your faith feels like a turnip buried in the ground covered manure, that kind of thing. Like, yeah, take that home for lunch and think on it. That's good. And that's how I felt Friday, man. I just felt like, man, God, I, I love you, but I don't like me. I don't like anybody else. I'm just that tired. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, your feelings don't matter. You're still my son. You don't have to feel spiritual to be spiritual. You are spiritual. You, under, you understand that, right? Your feelings. Here, in fact, here's how, I, this is what Helen and I talked about. 
You live in a world that's broken, evil, corrupt, atheistic, hates God, darkness everywhere, and you wake up in the morning feeling bad. Why are you surprised? We live in the most toxic environment in the history of eternity and we wake up feeling bad and we feel like it's God's fault. We feel like we can't even be a Christian today. We feel like whatever it is we feel like, how do you expect to feel breathing poison all the time? So that's not true. Here's the real question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? The song we sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. Not I have decided to go to church. I have decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to listen to what he has to say and to apply that in my life and to attempt it. That's the courage, to attempt to live as Jesus said. When, when, I, when all those things come to my mind, I realize that, that what, what I'm feeling is irrelevant. As a disciple of Jesus, I am something, regardless of how I feel. That's why Jesus said, I am a lot. And that's what's happened to you. The moment you decided to follow Jesus and you put feet to that, you started following Jesus, you became something new. doesn't matter how you feel. It's what you are that matters. And you are some things. You feel like a sinner. You feel like a failure. You feel like a slave. You feel like an orphan. That's how you feel. But you're not. Since God picked you, you, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You may walk, you may wake up a monster but you're going to walk out that door a son or daughter of the king. That's what we do. Why? Because that's who we are. Because the sinner was nailed to the cross with Jesus and died there. The failure was erased and overwhelming victory has been attained and given. The slave is free. The shackles are broken. Freedom reigns. The orphan now has a father and is a son the spinster now has a fiancé, a husband. Everything has changed because God changed everything. Your circumstances don't define your identity. Jesus does. And we have to change our mind about our circumstances. We have to stop putting so much faith in what we feel, even what we think. And we need to let God change that. Romans 12, 2, Paul writes, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Stop looking around you for guidance. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and perfect. I'm in a room full of kings and queens who are destined to reign. Not just in the next life, in this one too. Now reigning doesn't look like in the kingdom like it does on earth. On earth, there are monarchs, and they end lives and start wars. That's not how it works in the kingdom. In the kingdom, people reign by serving. The greatest among you is servant to all, is how Jesus taught it. And through serving, we earn and demonstrate great influence. You're no longer an orphan. You're not lawless. You're not homeless. You have a father. 
We have a declaration of independence in the Constitution even that is actually honored and abided by, but I won't get political. And we have a home. So the other night, we had just gotten back from the drive, the grueling 24-hour road trip to Tennessee. All right, back, back from that. I'm sitting in my chair. I'm finally home. I love home. I love home. Ask my wife. He loves home. People are like, do you want to leave home, go do something? Nah, I like home. <laughs> I'm sitting in my chair after that grueling trip. I am home. I'm happy to be home. And the thought rolled through my head. It was so weird. The thought rolled through my head. I just want to go home. And I'm like, well, I am home. Why did I think that? And it was like the Holy Spirit said, oh, good, teaching time. <laughs> time to teach Michael something. You're not home. You're at your house. You're surrounded with people you love, and that's as close to home as you get on earth. You're not home until you've entered into the place that I have prepared for you. That's when you're home. That's what you're longing for. That's what you're longing. That is that yearning in your heart. You feel it all the time. It's that need you cannot quite get to or define. You just want to be home. And home isn't here. It's great that the Father blesses us with so many people that are our home. My, my wife, my children, my family, my friends, my church. Those are all home to me in a sense. But when we all get home, and we are all in our place that is prepared for us, that is home. I, I wish I could even... I wish I could find words to tell you how awesome and the joys that the Father has prepared for us. There's a passage in Corinthians where Paul writes, he says, I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard the things that the Father has, never has entered into your mind the things the Father has prepared for you, but he has revealed them to us by his Spirit. And so God has this home for you, this place for you. That's what you're longing for. That's what you want. There is nothing on this earth that will ever be that. So, my friends, we've got to change our minds. We've got to change our minds about this, the way that the world has taught us to live. We have to change our mind about the things that we lose. And we have to change our mind about our situations. Just because you're going through hard things does not mean the Father doesn't love you or that you are in some kind of curse or there's no blessing on your life. That's not true. The Father's likely preparing you for your place. We have to change our mind. So have you? What's that song we sang? I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you committed to listen to what Jesus has to say? Have you? Because that's where life begins. That's where identity begins. That's where everything changes in your life. And I wish I could tell you, yeah, as soon as you do that, everything gets peaches and cream easy, man. And that is not how it works. Because as soon as you decide to follow Jesus, it's really more like entering boot camp. 
It's, it's really more like beginning to, to learn. Now, I mean, seriously, you've got to learn to walk on water. That's what Christians do. They walk on water. You're like, I don't know a single Christian who walks on water. Well, you just don't know them that well yet. <laughs> Have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you committed to listen to what Jesus says? Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm very challenged by the words of Jesus. I do not naturally love my enemies. I do not naturally bless those who curse me. I don't walk away in peace when attacked in violence. I'll never know how Jesus laid on a cross and allowed people to nail him to it while saying, Father, forgive them. In my flesh and in this world, I'll never know. But in your spirit, in your spirit, I begin to sense and see things. I want to pray for this room. I want to pray that every person in it has committed to follow and listen to Jesus. That all of us would understand it's not religion, it's a journey, it's a relationship. It's discovering the millions of ways that we are wrong and have failed and immediately being freed from those bondages and chains. I ask, Lord God, that you release everyone in this room from the bondage that holds them back, from the fear. I pray, Lord God, that we would change our minds so much that we could begin to love our enemies, that we could make our losses gifts, that we can make our insults into blessings, that we could turn every evil thing this world has into an act of love from our Father. That's what Jesus did. I see that now. That the world intended toward God violence and God turned it into the greatest act of love in the history of all eternity. I pray, Lord God, that you show us how to demonstrate that kind of light and that kind of difference in our world. And I pray that every person in this room is committed to listen to Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. If we can pray with you, several of us will be over here. On my right, your left. Let's make this our prayer this morning.